Well, hey, everybody. I've got Brett Teagarden on this episode today. Uh, Brett makes the coolest gear in the world, and not just coolest, the best sounding gear in the world. And so uh, my dad has a lot of Brett's uh, gear. Of course, my dad and Brett have known each other for a long time, so it's, it's great to get the two back together uh, in a working fashion as well. So um, anyways, it's nice to have Brett on the show just to talk about uh, what gear does, uh, just what he loves about music or just anything. Um, so, hey, Brett, how you doing? Hey, good morning. Well, good to have you. Uh, you know, you and I uh, um, see each other occasionally um, when I'm picking up gear uh, to deliver to my dad because he has uh, several of your really awesome preamps, microphones, DIs. I mean, you name it. Um, Tea Garden Audio uh, is 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 amazing. I, I love what you do. Um, how did you get into that? Oh, gosh. Uh, that's a very long story. Uh, you'll have to edit this down. But um, first of all, let me let me say that uh, I, I need to give credit where credit is due. And your dad, um, I probably if I had to go back and pinpoint the start of my love of the studio and recording and all things in this realm of music, you know, that we make, uh, it would be, it would go to your dad, uh, because he gave me my first opportunity to, uh, actually play bass guitar on one of his recordings, uh, back in the, uh, it was either late, late seventies or early, early eighties. I'm pretty, it may, it may have been 79. Now, was this in Oklahoma? Yes, it was in the Tulsa area. And um, <clears throat> anyway, I, I had never, um, well, let me back up on that. I, I had played bass on uh, a TV show and things like that at, at my, the college I went to, but uh, I had never been hired for money to go into a recording studio and play bass guitar. And uh, your dad gave me that opportunity and that whole process um, just really uh, impacted me and it made me uh, fall in love with uh, the idea of being able to capture things with electronics, um, with technology, with um, uh, you know, in a group of musicians that were better than I had ever been around, you know. Did you study uh, music in school? Was this something? I did. I did. Um, all through, through uh, you know, back to piano lessons when I was in first grade to uh, band in grade school, junior high and high school, choir in high school, uh, pet bands, you know, and, and I, that carried over into college. And uh, you know, I spent a couple of years as a um, music major, but um, I also played trumpet. But my my primary love was bass guitar, and second to that was playing piano and writing music, you know, composing. You sound so, very similar to me. <laughs> <laughs> I I play bass, and I'm a piano player too. So, um, right. Right. Uh, but, you know, the way the way the way colleges are uh, uh, set up, they're not really geared or back back in those days. Let's say I think there are more colleges today that are geared towards uh, 
uh, more pop music and, and people that actually want to make a living um, uh, in the recording industry. Um, but back then, those weren't available. So the only way I could be a music major was to have a primary instrument. And the only one that was available to me was trumpet. And, uh, uh, and frankly, I just, you know, I, I played trumpet, but I didn't love it. And I didn't want to devote, uh, you know, multiple hours a day practicing trumpet. Uh, I loved playing in jazz bands. I loved playing in, in pop bands and rock bands. I loved playing bass guitar. And uh, uh, they didn't have a bass guitar major. I could have done an upright major, but that was foreign to me. I'd never had never had any instruction or, um, frankly, my hands aren't, aren't um my fingers aren't long enough and large enough to be able to accommodate that instrument easily. So um, anyway, I'm getting way off on a tangent here, but um, well, no, you're, you're telling the story of where music, because <laughs> obviously uh, the gear is all awesome, but if it, there's no music behind it, it's just a, a machine. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, I understand that a lot of, guys just know how to build things but it's it's a musician who can build things that really kind of moves forward and so uh without the roots in music which would you know even if it was a trumpet just to get you through that major um that that allowed you to play the bass probably were you gigging like on you know while you're in school is this kind of something that you had time for yes absolutely and and even more so in college i uh, well uh last couple of years of high school, I, I traveled with a, a gospel quartet and, uh, uh, that was all, you know, all these experiences are so pivotal in, in what you learn, uh, and what you pick up along the way. And, um, you know, when I went to college that, that turned into, uh, playing on the road on weekends with, with a couple of, of, uh, uh well-known artists, uh, from time to time. And, uh, you know, it also led to to working in an, the audio department of a state of the art television studio, and you know, part time, and, and what, all this, of these things. Say this was still me. in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, this is still in Tulsa, and uh, anyway, all of that experience, uh, you know, doing live sound, uh, just every opportunity that came my way, if it involved playing music or recording music or doing live sound. Uh, I never said no to anything anyone asked me to do or any opportunity that came my way. That's great. I tried to find a way to do it. And <laughs> I mean, there's a good and good and bad aspect of that. The bad part is you're, uh, you know, you become so busy that sometimes you let other areas of your life slip and, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm a testament to that as well. But um, in when you look back on all of these things, you see that they all had a part to play in what you find yourself and uh, doing in the moment or uh, what your goals become and how they um, change and how you modify them as you move forward in life. And so, and sometimes those skills that you didn't, didn't use for a while, come back to play later on, you know? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Like right now for, you know, we're talking mainly about my gear company right now, because that's the primary focus of my career right now. But, you know, 
uh, one of the skills I needed was soldering. Okay. Uh, well, yes, anyone can learn to solder, but it takes a lot of practice to solder well mm-hmm. and to yes. solder well enough to actually put a product out on the market that's not going to come back at your door in disrepair all the time. Now, you know, we all have, all companies have uh, things that break and things that need repair, but um, I can honestly say that by and large, we have a very low percentage of, of pieces of gear that actually come back to us. Well, cause they're so well made. I mean, I love holding these things. Sometimes I just want to like walk around with it. You've got this DI <laughs> that's the best thing for bass called the Fat Boy that just, it's like, it's like a, I don't even know. It's like something from Star Wars. It just, I love it. It's so smooth, but it's heavy, but it definitely feels like, um, it ain't, it ain't, uh, something you just threw together with, with screws and, but we could talk about that later. I mean, obviously, right. uh, well, your, your yeah, love you know, for you... putting things together comes from all sorts of facets of your music. Probably you were tinkering with your amp back when you were doing gigs, you know, and, and probably even, I'm sure you're probably into records and stuff. So you, you know, definitely, uh, you know, if you're like me when you were a kid, I was just constantly playing with different, you know, hi-fi record, recording equipments, cassette decks and things like that. Um, sure. That plays into the, the foundational forming of, of what we love to do. So when did you meet my dad um, to play on, I believe what we're talking about is is one of his first musicals, correct? Right. It's, uh, can you tell me the zip of that faraway land? That's right. Yeah. I was I was a young child, but I definitely remember those early productions, and I remember that album. You know, the, wow. the, we've got a bunch of them. Actually, uh, recently I went down to uh, we took the the tapes uh, here in Nashville. We went down to have them uh, transferred to digital. Finally, you know, my dad is kind of digging into his his uh, his past, and you know. We found the cassette demo for this musical that we're talking about. Also, we went and found all sorts of other things. So, anyways, that's the one that you're on. So that's right. that's awesome. So, so did you know my dad before he hired you to do this um, session, or did you know? Well, him? I'm trying. I I don't really recall that, and I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I had been playing on on things around town and at school. And I'm sure our paths cross in that respect, because I know your dad was involved with uh, a couple of the professors at my school, music professors, and did things. So, you know, he may have just been desperate to find a bass player. <laughs> I don't know. And, and somebody at school said, hey, you should try Brett Teagarden. And, and, you know, but anyway, and I, I don't know that, you know, uh, your dad gave me an LP uh, a, a few months ago. Because uh, I've never had a copy of it oh, all no. these years. All know, these years. That, this is almost 40 years ago, or more, close to 40 years ago or more. Yeah, it definitely and was I probably have, 79 never, or 80, yeah. Yeah, I never heard a, heard the, I mean, I may have heard it one time, but uh, I did not have a copy of it all these years. I've never had a copy of my first recording session, and now I do. I mean, I have an LP, and uh, I cherish it, but uh, I don't, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet because I don't have a turntable, if you can believe that. 
but I definitely couldn't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I don't know that I'm going to be real happy with what I played. All right. Well, here, here's, it, the, but here's the question. Anyway, you know, but the thing is, is the, all of this stuff uh, leads in different directions. And as I got, you know, began my career and began making a living playing bass and being on the road uh, and being back in Tulsa, working with the band I was traveling with on recording sessions, you know, I was mainly a musician and that was my focus, but uh, little by little, I found myself uh, being asked to, you know, sit on the other side of the glass behind the console. And uh, I fell in love with that just as much as I was in love with playing music. And um, so that led to, you know, building my own recording studios, uh, being involved in production and, and having, been a composer i uh that you know having my own studio led to an opportunity to score music for a children's tv program and that was nationally syndicated what and, show was that you know, uh, <laughs> it was called the gospel bill show oh next on the gospel bill show hold it right there elmer i need to talk to you right. and uh, a lot of kids grew up watching watching that you know and obviously my my uh uh, career path has been uh, involved in a lot in Christian music and, and um, you know, that fit right in with where my uh, um, interests were and where my, my relationships were. So is that what uh, brought you to Nashville? Uh, oh, absolutely. And um, you know, having, having been on, on the road and then uh, having recording studios and, you know, scoring TV shows, producing records for people, um, you know, co-writing and playing on sessions with with other musicians and producers. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. But uh, uh, one one day I had an opportunity to, to take advantage of a um, uh, a opportunity here in Nashville and uh, I jumped on it. So I moved up here to build a studio with a prominent producer uh in his base basement and uh uh that led to relationships with other people in town and getting uh sometimes that producer was an engineer as well and he would get calls to engineer on other people's records but he was busy producing and he would recommend me so that started the whole path of uh being an independent recording engineer and getting to work on a lot of major, major projects. And, uh, um, you know, and <laughs> interesting thing, my first paid session, recording session where I was an engineer in Nashville was uh, working on a project with a, an old bandmate of mine named Michael James Murphy. He was producing an album. Uh, he had come to Nashville and uh, had programmed all of the songs with a, a keyboard player arranger uh, that had done it with synthesizers and sequencers and um, he had, and, and, the, and a drum machine. So they had drums and keyboards all and programmed and Michael had played um, um, guitars on everything. And, uh, you know, of course, of course it came, he wanted to have bass on it and uh, naturally um he was wanting to hire top line studio musicians, which I was not one of those persons, but uh, he hired Gary Lunn to play bass. And so we went to uh, uh, a studio at the top of the UA Tower uh, called Omni Recording. And uh, it actually was probably Hummingbird at that time, but uh, not Omni. I'm sorry, I have that mistake. It was a Hummingbird Recording. 
studio. And I, I, rec- I was the engineer recording Gary Lunn uh, of Whiteheart fame and uh, has gone on to become one of the top studio bassists in town. But anyway, I'm sitting there recording him uh, overdubbing bass in the control room. Uh, I'm operating the tape machine and controlling his sound and whatever. And uh, I, but he's standing right behind me, and I'm uh, we're recording to tape, and I'm running the remote control and punching in for different parts and watching him play. Um, and here I am, a bass player, watching this guy play bass. And it was that moment in time where I decided I'm going to focus on recording and engineering. Uh, seriously, I mean, it was it was a kind of a epiphanal moment because, uh, you know, while I could hold my own and play uh, bass guitar, I was nowhere near the level of player that Gary was. And, you know, this wasn't a, a jealousy thing. It was more of a, a of an awe experience. You know, like, this is incredible. And um, was it slightly bittersweet when you go like, um, well, because you, you know, realize, you know, no, not really, because I, I loved recording and engineering just as much as I did playing bass. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. So and if you feel it, like it you, you got to pick one, you're like, well, let's go. I'm going to say it wasn't a hard switch for me to go from, you know, spending most of my time writing and recording music and I mean, writing and playing music and, you know, and kind of recording it to actually focusing in and and being the recording engineer and producing music. And I still got to play some. I still, you know, I still did other things. And in fact, I I still scored the television show after I moved to Nashville. So. All right. You know, we did it long distance. Um, yeah. Was this something? Have, that... No internet. No internet at that time. We just we uh, sent VHS and reel to reel tapes back and forth. It, literally, uh, that's what they meant by flying a track in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, but uh, you know, FedEx was our hero uh, at that time. I bet. But, uh, Do you remember? Now, this is related to. Um, this is kind of a. a, a a nostalgia question, but do you recall the bass that you played on my dad's uh, musical and the bass that Gary Lunn was playing, the actual bass guitar? Uh, somewhat. I I think at that time, uh, if I remember, I either had, um, I may have still, no, I, my first bass was a Fender uh, Mustang bass, which was a small scale. Awesome, yeah. Which was great for my size, you know. And uh, then uh, I, my second bass, I may have had a Music Man Saber, which they only, you know, the most popular popular Music Man bass was a Stingray. But I had a Saber, which was a, a kind of a dual pickup jazz type of configuration. Uh, anyway, I love that bass and. Um, uh, I may have purchased that bass before I went to college, but I'm not sure. So it was one of those two bases on your dad's 
recording. Wow. Um, but uh, that uh, um, saber was stolen out of my pickup truck parked at the studio I was running. Oh no! Um, <laughs> oh, I hate that. Time. And I've never, you know, never saw it since. And then uh, I bought a Yamaha BB 1000S, which cool. I'm actually sitting here looking at as we speak. And uh, that was. Uh, uh, I bought that to uh, go on tour with uh, Twyla Paris. Oh, cool! So uh, that 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 was bought right after the saver was stolen, and I had gotten the opportunity to go on the road with her. Well, but, who were uh, who were the, who were the players that you that really like got you rocked? You know, when you're getting into bass. Well, um, you know. I would say uh, Lewis Johnson, uh, you know, the Brothers, Brothers Johnson. Johnson. Uh, and, uh, you know, listening to a lot of R&B music in college. Uh, I had a dear friend who uh, I hooked up with in college that was... Um, uh, we had similar, he was actually an engineer, you know, a live sound engineer, but he loved music and, and he, he started playing, you know, playing me all these records that I'd never heard. And um, anyway, that, that was a big influence. And then uh, later on, I would say my um, primary influences were uh, like Abraham Laboriel. Um, oh gosh. Uh, Marcus Miller. You know, um, I've just I've always en enjoyed, uh, you know, just uh, R&B and, and uh, uh, jazz and, and funk stuff and pop, you know, uh, to me. But in pop music, the bass never really sticks out. You know, uh, the bass is so fundamental and and just solid. Right. But in, in R&B and, and funk and jazz, the, the bass is like you know, intricate and interesting. And I mean, I don't mean to diss a, a pop bass uh, part, you know, but, um, or a rock bass part, but, but they generally are not as, as a musically, um, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Well, uh, we're, we're backing up the, the singer who's the most important, you know, the pop singer, yeah, he's the exactly, or she, exactly. he or she, you don't yeah. want to get in the way. You, it's not complex. You know, the parts you're playing, are, are more fundamental and they're not really uh, you don't want to stick out, you know, right. in a pop track. you want, you wanted that solid foundation, but, and, and I love, I can play that. I love playing that as well. Uh, but when it came to listening to bass, I was drawn to, to R&B and funk and, and jazz because of the complexity, the musical complexity of it. Right on. So you're uh, in Nashville and you decide yeah. you're, you're moving to recording and, and, and this is growing your, your, your engineering and producing career is growing. Um, mm -hmm. when did you start making things? Well, uh, about six, seven years ago, maybe more than that. I met a, uh, an individual who was a builder and, uh, built microphones and preamps and uh, I met him at a social event. Um, I used to have a website bef uh, long before Facebook got popular with with uh, uh, the whole populace. Um, you know, only uh, 
college kids were using Facebook at the time, and uh, they hadn't even opened it up to high school students yet or the rest of the world. But uh, I created a social network called National Music Pros. I loved that site. That was great. I'm, <laughs> such a fun. <laughs> yeah, it was great. You know, anyway, now we're going off on another tangent of things I've done. So, <laughs> um, But anyway, uh, I had met this guy uh, through some events that we used to host. Uh, we called them Get Connected events. And and the whole the whole reason for National Music Pros was to address the the uh, social issues that were involved in everybody building their home recording environments and working by themselves at home and having people just send them files, you know, because all of the recording had navigated to uh, digital computer based recording as opposed to big consoles and tape machines and two inch reels of tape. So uh, what what happened is people stopped seeing each other as much. We were still working in, uh, as much, but we did not hang out at the coffee you know, machine at the uh, um, lounge in a multi-room studio. You know, we didn't see each other. So we started these events called Get Connected. And, uh, you know, 150 to 300 people would show up to these things and at a restaurant or a bar or wherever <laughs> and um, just catch up, you know, just talk and and visit and and uh, meet new people and things like that. So anyway, I met this guy. Uh, his name was James Bach or uh, everybody called him JB. And uh uh, he was he was an interesting guy, and he had been building microphones, and uh, he had brought one of his mics to this event and shown it to him. I said, "Hey, you should bring it by my studio sometime. I'd love to hear it." Da 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 da. And uh, a week or so went by, and then he called and showed up with this microphone and just actually gave them to me. And I went. I don't want to, I still have them, by the way, but I don't consider them mine. He just kind of put them here for me to listen to and learn. And then um, I really liked how they sounded. And then he started showing up one or two days a week. Uh, sometimes I would be working and he would just sit and watch. Other times I would be more open and we would sit and talk. And what would normally be a, an hour long visit turned into sometimes a six hour history lesson or lessons in how tube circuits worked. Um, and anyway, JV had a, a, a pretty uh, colorful career uh, in Hollywood, working in the, the music industry through the 70s and the 80s. And uh, he had, anyway, this could get into a really long story, but basically our friendship developed to the point of where he was coming over all the time and mentoring me and sharing with me, not only um, about electronics, but also about the history of how gear was developed and what was used and, and how manufacturers, you know, made steps to improve things. Uh, we got into all of the um, aspects of metalwork uh, and uh, design all of these things and how they affect how gear sounds. And and I have to make a confession here. My whole, uh, at that point, you know, 25 year plus year career as a recording engineer, um, I had never really sat down and critically listened to one piece of gear over another. 
I had I had pieces of gear that I gravitated to because I liked how they sounded or I uh, liked how they functioned or it was because what everybody else was using. You know, uh, we get into that a lot. I'm going to I've got to have uh, this preamp or I've got to have this microphone because that's what Bob Clear Mountain uses. Mm -hmm. In fact, I bought a set of studio monitors one time because I heard that's what Bob Clear Mountain was using. That's the only reason I bought them. And uh, but I had never taken the time to sit down and say, now, does this microphone sound better than this microphone of the same kind of mic or, or you know I had my preferences of what kind of mics I like to use on what instrument and a lot of that was just from watching other engineers and mentors and people that had taught me okay but uh, what JB encouraged me to do was actually listen to a piece of gear and and compare it to another piece of gear, similar piece of gear and to see and you know set it up and to see what that same bass guitar sounded like through this tube di or that tube di and i'm telling you jeff it just it totally blew my mind and opened up a whole new world to me of of what the possibilities were with sound okay that's, that's, wow. And then yeah. the other side of that is I was very fortunate to have JB and then another gentleman um, who he had mentored under named uh, Bud Wyatt. Um, I was fortunate to meet him. And now they're both pouring knowledge and uh, um, concepts and philosophy of business and, and gear and music everything you know all of these disciplines they're they're pouring uh, over 50 years of, of research and development and experience into my life why i have no idea okay i don't know why they would take the time uh to do that with me but you know obviously i'm grateful and very humbled that they have done that um so when did you that being said uh you know, our my 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 learning sessions with JB turned into uh, experimentation, and it turned into me ordering parts to. I want to build a a tube amp. You know, I want to build a tube circuit. You know, so wow. uh, I had learned soldering in college by because my job in the television studio was modifying gear. Uh, and most of the gear back, rat mount gear back then was made by Yuri, or mm -hmm. uh, we know him as UA, you right. know, Apollo <laughs> Interfaces now. But that company back then were making a lot of the first rat mount pieces of, of utility audio gear. And but their connections on the back were all what what are called terminal strips, which are just basically a row of screws that you uh, clip, take wires and wrap around or, or yeah. uh, uh, you know, some kind of thing and screw them down. So they were very difficult to move around. I mean, once you installed them, they pretty much had to stay where they were. But in a television studio that had several different rooms and, and audio rooms and, and studios, they needed to be able for this gear to travel around. So they taught me how to take the gear apart, punch holes in it to put XLR um, you know, connectors in it, um, and, you know, wire those over to the terminal connections, 
anyway. Uh, and then the other thing I had to do was wire patch bays, which those are very intricate and small and involved detailed soldering work. Yes. Well, and, and I, when I worked as an apprentice uh, and assistant engineer in, in Charlotte, my, the, the guy who owned the studio pointed to the patch bay at the end of this Amec Angela board and said, yeah. that is your job security. If mm-hmm. you can understand that thing, <laughs> that is right. going to keep you working. And my goodness, I'm like, because I'm like, anyways, I'm, just to say that patch bays are a beast. So Right. But here, here we're back to all of your previous experience in the road that you've traveled, how it, how it affects the decisions and the, and the uh, opportunities or your abilities to move in new directions in your career and in your life. You know, I've, uh, I've, I've never, I may not be a bass player full time anymore. Uh, I may not even be a recording engineer full time anymore, even though I still have a a job as an engineer. (laughs) I still go uh, do live sound for churches and, and stuff like that. But, um, I'm still involved in the music industry and I'm still working in what I feel like I was put on earth to do. Yeah. Well, you have yeah. Tea Garden Audio, which is which right. is what was birthed in, and became this. Um, so t- tell me about because I, you know, you can go to teagardenaudio.com, I think, as it's the right, right. thing. Right. Uh, but just to, just from the horse's mouth, t- tell us about your stuff. You know, you've got the Magic right. Pre, you've got uh, the Fat Boy, you know. I mean, these right. things are great. Well, the, the, the Fat Boy Tube DI uh, was a result of that very first uh, learning to make a tube circuit quest that I went on after meeting JB and, and after spending about a year or so with him just learning. And um, when I had that circuit successfully built, he was over here and we were listening, we were playing music through it. And uh, it was very crude. And in fact, I have a, I have the uh, original circuit board that I made and, and all that for the, for that uh, learning experience. I still have it up on my wall, but um, anyway, he, he just looked at me and he said, you know, you have a product here if you were interested in making it. And I said, really, what would I, what would I do with this little 20 dB gain amp, you know, (laughs) of a a tube circuit? Uh, You know, what could I do with that? And he said, well, with the right enclosure and the right components and the right uh, manufacturing process and the right branding and the right, you know, the list goes on and on and on. He said, you would have a, a vacuum tube based direct box and not only a direct box, but more like a preamp. So, you know, it it kind of bridges the gap between a traditional direct box and a a preamplifier that would have tone controls and stuff like that. So I said, wow, I want to try that. You know, I was just gung ho. So I made the fat boy tube DI and the first person I called after I had had uh, prototyped one and had and had spent time you know i i collected a bunch of other tube di's i, I rented some from blackbird audio rentals that's a plug by the way <laughs> uh but you know I, I rented these other di's i had a bunch of passive di's i had a bunch of, of cheap 25 dollars di's you know uh direct boxes and i had 
Uh, I borrowed a guy's Avalon U5, a Red D, you know, the list goes on and on. And these are all great devices that are made. And so I'm sitting here at my, my uh, uh, mixed position and I've got all these direct boxes set up and my little prototype there. And I, you know, ran tone, a test tone through all of them and set the levels as close as I could to, you know, so that each one of them would be giving me the same, um, output level uh, because I wanted to listen to what my bass sounded like through all of them and you know I would plug into uh, the direct boxes and play a little bit and it would sound great and and uh, you know I saved mine until last I wanted to, to hear what after I'd listened to all of these others what it sounded like to go into my circuit it wasn't called the fat boy at that point that's another story but uh, anyway um I didn't have a name for it. So, you know, and these, the, the other two DIs, they all sounded incredibly warm and wide, you know, the, the big sounding, I mean, I, there's all kinds of adjectives that you could use to describe how they sound. Right. And, and I liked all of that. And, but man, when, when I went from those into my circuit, not only was the, the wide, full, warm sound there but it took on a third depth dimension i don't know how else to explain it it just it just felt like i was hearing more uh into the sound i hope that makes sense yeah well it has the it it, it, it you, you dialed into some different distortions that that right that just are the perfect thing especially for bass i mean i've got one well my dad does <laughs> but i steal it all the time and uh, <laughs> yeah right. and I, that knob you guys got to yeah. look at this thing. Man. It's just, I love touching that thing and turning it up and turn it, you know, it's just, and it's, right. that's the simple thing about it because, you know, nowadays in recording studios, everyone just kind of plugs into something. And a lot of times they're just turning up their dial with a mouse, you know, that's, you know, right. you got to have these things. You got to have this, uh, tactile, but, yeah. but actually the real circuit. I mean, it's, you can't, you can't emulate it. And right. that, that must've been a great moment when you were, I would say, please is not even a good word. Just so grateful that your yeah. thing sounded as awesome as your hero items that you were using before to listen, you know, to get to right. that point. Well, yeah. And, right. And speaking of that, I mean, after I heard that, my, the, the first thing I did was I picked up my phone and I called Gary Lunn. There you go. Yeah. Okay. And I said, Gary, <laughs> you need to come over and listen to this. And, uh, you know, and, and here, you know, I'm not saying that in a bragging way. I was just, I was amazed, you know, and this is something that JB and Bud had, this is a gift that had been given me. Okay. And, uh, you know, so, I, so Gary came over and he brought his studio rig in his K and I'm not, I'm not going to name, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if we should talk he, about what he shows and he shows up what he has and you yeah have, and, but it's a it's a let's put it this way it's a two thousand dollar microphone preamp you know with a with a direct in, injection plug yeah. with an eq in it it's a channel strip you know right. they retail for about twenty five hundred dollars and it's a, a tube compressor that costs around forty five hundred dollars wow. okay so it's roughly a seven thousand dollar chain of and this equipment. is what somebody like gary would take to a studio absolutely and you know may because, or may not I mean, use but yeah. he he yeah i mean he's 
you know, and Gary has been one to always uh, go, you know, be chasing that ultimate bass sound. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, from, from my opinion, he doesn't have to work that hard to get it because he's such a great player. But um, that's just, you know, yeah. and, and his philosophy of, of good enough is not good enough is the same philosophy that Bud and, and the people that Bud worked for and JB worked for back in Hollywood. That was their same philosophy is that good enough is not good enough. And so they're always chasing that extra percentage of quality. And uh, so Gary brought his stuff over and we started playing, you know, doing that AB test again, critically listening to different pieces of gear and uh, something that I had not done my whole career. I, I had just always gone into studios or carried the gear I, that I had purchased that I liked and just plugged in. And my job was to get the best sound possible you know, with the gear that was available, with the microphones that were available in that studio. And, uh, you know, obviously I did a pretty good job at it because uh, I made a living at it and I, you know, raised five children and put them through school. So, uh, you know, there, there there was some some validity to my career and, uh, but I had really not critically listened like this. I've said this before, but anyway, uh, you know, Gary and I are are going back and forth, and we're trying to do the blind back and forth A B tests as, as as much as possible. And uh, I'm not going to say that my device sounded better than his chain or his rack, but we could not tell the difference. That's awesome. But we could tell the difference between all the other devices and other passive DIs and, and active DIs and other two DIs. But when it came from his $7,000 chain to my prototype, there was no difference. And he just looked and he says, I've got to have this. He says, I, I don't want to carry this expensive gear all over town all the time into demo sessions or into, uh, you know, or on at third and Lindsley, you know, in a live situation, I, yeah. you know, obviously you don't want to be schlepping around that expensive gear all over the place. Cause it, it will get damaged and, and it's just, you know, anyway. So he said, I got to have it. I said, okay. <laughs> so that started when he, when he said that to me, that started the process of me learning a whole nother set of, of, uh, parameters of actually getting a product to market. And, uh, trust me when I say this, that is far more difficult than I would have ever dreamed it would have been. Well, and, uh, <laughs> I would say that you've, you've, you've figured it out. I, you know, I, I, I tip my hat to you. you this is such a great story to, to get to where now this is the beginning and not to compress right. the rest of it, but you've got all this other stuff that I just want well, to just very yeah, quickly I mean, that, that laid the foundation. And so, you know, the next move, the next product was, well, you know, I would like to, I would like my own microphone preamps. And so I, I uh, consulted with Bud and uh, we, um, you know, he, uh, I don't know. I'd have to go on a whole nother story of, of Bud's career, but um, you know, and and the other thing I want to stress here is is that Bud is not designing this stuff for me. He is making me do the work. Uh, he is, but he is um, 
encouraging me. He is um, giving me knowledge, giving me ideas, uh, telling me what I should try to do. <laughs> you know, but you know, and I had the misconception that that meeting the meeting these guys, they would just you know send me blueprints, so to speak, and schematics and blueprints and a parts list, and I would just all I'd have to do is put it together. And but that was not the case at all. And uh, you know, anyway, well, that's a, that's a great that's a great mentor that they're actually right. bringing the best out of you. And right. but not giving you the answer. It's like a, a it's like right. a, it's a teacher does. They they definitely exactly. could just pull out the answer sheet and give it to you, but that sure. wouldn't really make you any different than anybody well, and, else. And the thing is, in the age of the internet, I mean, there's so much information online, and you know, just about anybody can grab a soldering iron and order some parts and find yeah. a schematic online yeah. and cobble together just about anything they want to do. Yeah, I thought at one point in my life, I would order the parts to an Alltech compressor and mm-hmm. try to be right. a Beatles guy in my house. And I, said, I realized that's just silly. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, there are people that have success, you know, a certain amount of success at that, but there's so much more involved than that. Yeah. And not, so, and even at that, you know, you get a schematic and, and a list of parts. I mean, uh, there are so many little things that matter just with the, even the placement of the parts and where, where they are in relationship to each other inside the chassis. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, I think it's a good stuff. skill for people to be able to do things by themselves, but also recognizing mm-hmm. that there are some things that you just, there are better people at, sure. you know, I, I do a little bit of setup on my, my, my instruments, but there, at some point you realize, man, if I'm going out in the road, I'm just, just take it over to this guy and let him, you know, do his thing. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, so you, the magic pre and then the microphones, and then the, right. you've got this cool little magic DI, which is awesome. Right. I love that thing too. Well, and th- you know, that was, uh, that was um, a very interesting concept there is I, I wanted to have something that was at a price point um, that, uh, you know, people that, you know, the, the fat boy tube DI is, is a fairly expensive piece of gear. It's not as expensive as a lot of them, but I think it's a it's good still, deal actually. But yeah, yeah. It, I, I do too. I mean, for what it does and how it sounds, uh, I think it's very fairly priced and it, it's actually priced less than what it should be based on uh, what the parts cost and how much labor is involved in it. Mm. So my goal as a, you know, I've, I've been in your shoes as a working musician. I've been in, you know, I know what it's like to have, to want to be the best and have the best gear you can, but not know where your next gig's coming from, you know, <laughs> that mm. kind of thing. Yeah, I've, I've lived that all my life. So I wanted to try to find the balance between what this piece of gear does, what it should cost and what I can reasonably afford to build it for and make it available to working musicians. And did these guys uh, come in here? uh, So every time you had a new idea, like this tube, mic that we uh halfway through the recording we, that's the thing right. it's like the beginning of this recording that i do with my dad we just piece by piece started adding more gear so right. i kind of well, wish you know, the, i the, had the that tube, tube mic back at the beginning on some but you know i didn't want to go back right. and well you know the, the tube the tube mic that you have is one of maybe 12 at this point wow. i have not even put a tube mic on the market yet so you're you're wow. in a, you're in a you're kind of in a little rarefied space there at the moment. That's very um, awesome. And we also have now these two, um, uh, the two, the two new little mics uh, that we're going to put right. on the piano. Yeah. And right now, they, this this was a, a um, you know, I 
you know, it was a hard decision to decide, you know, what do I do next? What kind of products do I need to come out with? But uh, here again, this the whole microphone is based on on a relationship and meeting someone. And uh, the, the guy that has helped me with that and that is a, a large um, presence in the in the creation of this mic is uh, named Stephen Mills. And he was, uh, he spent 25 years at Crown International, which are mainly known for their amplifiers. Yeah, power amps and stuff. But yeah. you're at power amps, but, but they also had a complete mic line. And, uh, you know, for instance, the, the headset mic that Garth Brooks wears and pioneered that was designed uh, by Crown and, and Steve was on that team. Uh, PZM mics are, you know, pressure boundary uh they're basically a flat surface with a transducer mounted close to it. That that it's a it's a whole concept in itself. But um, anyway, Crown uh, pioneered the very first PZM uh, microphone, and they had you know Steve actually designed one of them that had become their bestseller. Uh, and anyway, through sales and acquisitions. Uh, the company that bought Crown phased out their microphone division because they already had another microphone company. And um, they kept making a couple of the mics that Crown made, but they, the first thing they did was let all of the, the mic uh, department, microphone team and department go. And so Steve um, went and formed a, another microphone company with one of his mentors at um, Crown and that worked very well for a while. And, and during, in the midst of that, he got an opportunity to become the head of R&D for Gibson and uh, did that. And he, you know, became too busy to, I mean, I don't know all of the uh, ins and outs of, of uh, what was happening, but he sold his interest in the other microphone company he had started in order to focus more on Gibson. But then he was, um, um, a victim of the bankruptcy that Gibson went through hmm. a few years ago. Uh, and, you know, he had, you know, spent some time here in Nashville for those 10 years and, and had lived here, but he was still coming back and forth. But anyway, I met him through an acquaintance of ours who happened to live in the same neighborhood where he was staying and they met and from, you know, walking in the neighborhood and they struck up a conversation and he told uh, her what he did for a living and she said oh you need to meet brett teagarden <laughs> yeah. so we had he called me and said hey this this lady says i you know you and i should meet and uh, i said okay and so we met for coffee and uh, he's shared his history with me i shared my history with him and we hit it off and we started meeting weekly and having you know uh, all these conversations about gear and about microphones and all this. And, and finally, after about three months of that, he said, Hey, I have a bunch of designs that we never did at crown. And, um, you know, would you be interested in putting those out through T garden audio? And I said, I think so. Let's try it. So now we have the PPC 125, which, you know, I know your dad, you're, it's really interesting. Your dad has, Every time I come out with something new, your dad is one of the first persons to uh, ask me to buy it. You know, well, and I, I, and I, I go, Dad, you know, he's just, he just, hey, hey there's something new. We got to get it. Question mark. Right. You know, in my text, well, I'm like, you know what? And, and to me, that it's such a, 
an honor because uh, it just it shows me that that it, it's kind of like a, a vote of confidence, you know, uh, a vote of trust, um, which, you know, that that's, you know, that's what we all long for uh, in our careers and, and, and everything that we do. We want we're, we're hoping that we uh, are the caliber and the type of people that will garner that kind of trust and and respect you know well you definitely have with us and and obviously with uh, people in nashville and and around the world um with with your equipment and your 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 level of of care that you give um not only to the the construction and the the quality of it but but just to the customer you you really care about where that thing is going it's like you're birthing uh a Right. <laughs> you're delivering, you're like a doctor <laughs> delivering a baby to the new parents. I can't wait to see what else you got coming. I'm sure we could spend, you know, we could talk about the ins and outs of every little circuit, you know, cause it's kind of starting to get right. real fun. But uh, I, I think what's the best way to kind of keep up with you? Obviously teagardenaudio.com. Well, yeah, right. I mean, we're on, uh, we have a page on Facebook. We have our website, teagardenaudio.com. We have Instagram, um, you know, and I, I try to stay very accessible. Um, and, um, you know, we're, we just love what we're doing and we, we love musicians. We love music. We love creative people. Uh, we want to always do our best to help. Uh, you know, the, uh, there's an interesting story about the, the magic DI, uh, you know, I, I had called Bud to tell him that I wanted to build uh, something that was in a different price range and a different, you know, that wasn't a tube that that was uh, more of an active DI. And uh, but I wanted it to be different. I wanted to be cutting edge and wanted it to be uh, not what everybody has always done. And, uh, yeah, hmm, well, that's that's kind of a tall order. Yeah. <laughs> and the next day you know this was in in the afternoon but then the next morning bud called me at six in the morning which would be 4 a.m his time i think somewhere around there and which is unusual you know and obviously i'm getting a call from him at six in the morning i think something's wrong you know but uh anyway he said hey i was just i just had a dream about them about your uh the you know your active di that you want to do and he says, have you thought about this? And he shared it with me. And I go, wow. Okay. <laughs> so he, you know, he pointed me in the direction. And, you know, I already had all these these building blocks here to do the Magic VI, you know, but I didn't realize it. And um, and he had it in a dream. And it, it just, you know, I won't go into you know, I'd be sharing a lot of things come out of dream. <laughs> dream. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought it was so interesting that, that that's how it came about, you know, it was a dream. And, uh, we so, got we gotta pay attention. I, 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 I wanted to say, so basically I share that with, with whoever's listening to this is to, uh, you know, we, there, it sounds kind of cliche to follow your dreams, but, but the thing is, is you should pay attention to them. You know, I, I agree. Um. I, we're, we're, there, there is. Yes, I, I'll leave it at that. I, I definitely right. know that there are some gifts that were given to you uh, from outside of you. And that's a 
I know it's a blessing to you, but also to all of us who like to make music. So um, thanks again for for chatting. And, you know, hey, maybe we should do this more often. I love talking about gear and, and music and, and people, uh, life stories and stuff like that. And this has been a really, really fun fun time. And thank you for being such a, a great a great friend of my dad. And, and next next thing that's coming out, I'm sure my dad's going to know. He's going to call me and I'm going to go pick it up. <laughs> so thanks again, Brad. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jeff. And uh, uh, it's been an honor. And uh, I love, you know, uh, watching you grow, uh, you know, just knowing your dad and then and watching all the things that you're getting to do now and the way your career is progressing. We're we're so excited for you as well. So, um, well. Thanks. Yeah, let's do this again. Let's, let's just hope we can get get you know get back out of our house and get back out there. So absolutely. So thanks a lot, Brett Teagarden. Stubbing your stuff like you own the joint, making it loud just to prove your point. People come cheap in the way you see it. You told you never win, but you never believe that the crowd are gonna fall. Watch what they're saying. One wrong word, and they better be praying. It doesn't take much just to light your fuse. You think you know it all, but you better learn the truth that the crowd are gonna fall. But the people stand tall. So why don't you learn it before it starts getting to you? Commonly known as the Bible You can choose this day What's the right from the wrong You can honor your heart And keep a saying